Great message. Ladies, thank you so much. I'm glad to be able to be a part of these great days. This is a great time, great time in your life and great opportunity. And I'm looking forward. I really am looking forward to seeing how God's going to work. God's always up to something. And it's a great privilege and blessing that He lets us be a part of that. And you're included in that, but it's uh, now in your court. It's your decision as to what you're going to do with that. Thank you, Pastor and Dr. Jim, for the great opportunity to share in this with Pastor Ken Shaver. I'm excited about uh, him being here as well and get to be able to uh, just do a little bit of investing and, and watching the Lord use the truth and, and see how He liberates and, and uh, sets some things free in our lives and set us free from some things. Take your Bibles this morning and go to James chapter number 1. James chapter one, number one, I hope you've thawed out. And I was walking by and saw several of you coming in the door trying to catch your first breath. I don't think some of you breathe coming across the parking lot until you came inside. But I, for one, I'm not complaining. I, I, being there in the Atlanta area, I feel like I've missed winter, I've missed Christmas. And, and so I've been looking at the uh, calendar, looking at the weather. I knew it was going to be down to one degrees, and I was excited about it. I told our church, we're not getting any snow, so I've got to go find some somewhere, and, uh, and I'm going to get my fix here, I'm sure. Maybe not seeing the snow, but at least I can legitimately put on an overcoat and wear some gloves, and, and uh, I can look like a snowman at least. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that, glad, glad to be able to, to be up here in the cold a little bit. And, uh, and then we had uh, uh, Brother Van uh, with us Friday with the quizzing team that was down there. And I was glad to hear of the success uh, in the Bible quizzing on Saturday. But it was a blessing being with us just Friday for a meal and then and communicating his heart concerning the Bible quizzing. And uh, so it's, it's just great to have constant contact. And, and then we'll be having the war this spring and then Dr. Jim for revival. And we look forward to it. Our church looks forward to Dr. Jim coming, and it'll be a great help and blessing, and, and we're glad for a few students to be here as well, and uh, it's, it's good to be able to, uh, to have students that you invest in a little bit and, and uh, then be able to send and uh, know that they're going to be able to be challenged and letting the Lord go deeper and spread wider what He's wanting to accomplish, and so it's just very thankful for this place and and the, it's, it's home, it's, it's the frozen home uh, that, that, that I, I don't get otherwise. And it's just, uh, I feel like we are, we're coming back home. And I'm so grateful for it. James chapter 1. Now, I'm going to do something. I just, I told Dr. Jim and told Pastor, I feel like the Lord is leading us to James. And, and I am glad to get out of this if God doesn't keep me here. But at least we're going to start here. In James and and one of the things I, I want us to see is the need for developing right mindset um, too often and, and I've been guilty of this and maybe it's because of how we hear messages point one two and three we develop them into steps and I think Roy Hessian dealt with that that we sometimes look at because we maybe give something in an outline form we take it as a step and, and steps can turn into checklists and if we're not careful, we can turn the Christian life into a checklist versus a mindset. And I believe the Bible really is giving us much of a mindset. Well, remember, Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And with that, Christ did some things, but there was a mindset that's there. 
uh, I think it was Peter Drucker, I believe if I've got his name correct, has said often or was, has been quoted often as he said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And a lot of corporate uh, America has used that, meaning it doesn't matter how well you strategize and how well you lay out some things. If it's not part of the DNA, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen successfully. Well, I think the same is true in the Christian life. This matter of revival is not something you do. It's someone that we embrace. And there's a mindset that goes with that. So I want us to, to at least, uh, however long we stay in this, and uh, but... There's a mindset, I believe, that James is wanting us to see here in chapter number one. And so you're very familiar, I'm sure, with many of these uh, verses and passage that we're going to be looking at. But let's take a look at them again. Let's stand, please, if we could, as we read these opening verses, beginning in verse number one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Drop down to verse number 12, which is so often accompanied with those verses. Verse number 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I think the book of James is a manual on maturity. God is trying to develop and mature us, develop our confidence, our faith in him. And in this book, five chapters, 108 verses, we find incredible help and wealth. I used to think there's just a shotgun blast of of thoughts, random thoughts that James gives us that's a help and will change our life. But I don't believe that that's necessarily the case. I believe he is obviously led by the Holy Spirit, but he's methodically laying out and developing the mindsets that we ought to have about people that will believe God, people that can see God work through the very simple instrument of faith. This morning, I want to preach on this thought, the right mindset concerning stress, the right mindset concerning problems, trials, stress. Do you have any? I know somebody around you would be glad to give you some of theirs, <laughs> but the right mindset. I believe if we're going to see the life of Christ and the awakening that God would have, we're going to have to understand something more than just, I can work through it, I think I'll make it, the right mindset about stress. Thank you. Please be seated. This is James who's writing this. I do believe that this helps us with some, uh, some help, gives some help in this going into 
what he's getting ready to, to give us, the message that he has beginning in verse number 2. But James is the one who's writing. There's several James in the Bible, in the New Testament. And you're going to have to do a little bit of work to figure out who this James is. He doesn't come out and tell us. He doesn't tell us his relationship and, and his uh, resume that is, um, it would be quite impressive. He didn't name drop. In fact, this particular James is the half-brother of Jesus. Notice how James introduces himself in verse number one. He says, I'm James, the son of Mary. You know her, don't you? I'm James, the, the uh, younger brother of Jesus. He didn't say that, did he? Notice what he says. James, say the next few words with me, a servant of God. Now, that wasn't a title that he got when he graduated from Bible college, and it's not a, an old title that they used. He has now graduated to become a servant of God. A servant of God is what he was. A servant of God is what he embraced. And I think if we're going to experience the life of God, we've got to understand, we have to understand why it's so important to be a servant of God. We're not going to understand how to handle stress God's way and get the right mindset if we don't understand the significance of our place, our role as being a servant of God. James, he grew up, he could have said, I, I shared a room with Jesus Christ. He could have said all kinds of things that we would have been quite impressed with and maybe been distracted by to want to know those, those little details. But he said, here's the greatest thing I can really tell you about me. I'm a servant of God. Uh, servant of God is, is uh, part of why we're in trouble today because people don't really want to be a servant. Uh, we, we don't take classes on how to be a servant. We don't come to school desiring to really serve, not unless you're really in step with Jesus Christ. Part of the problem in our world, if you, I think you understand when I say fundamentalism, is I think we have so many aspiring and working and jockeying to be big shots. We, we want to we be somebody. But the Bible tells us that Jesus came to serve somebody. And the Lord Jesus was one that was the greatest of servants. I learned this even traveling with Minutemen. That there's not a lot of things that, that you're going to get that would be, uh, that would be uh, uh, desirable. You're not going to always get the, the red carpet treatment. And if you focus on what you think you should get and what I should have, I'm a, I'm a sophomore, I'm a senior now, and I should be getting some of the perks of this. Well, Jesus Christ, he came to serve. And he wasn't let down because there's never an opportunity that was, was uh, withheld him from serving. He served. Over 500 times in the Bible, we find the word servant appears. The Lord said to Satan in Job 1 and verse 8, Hast thou, not or hast thou considered my servant, Job? Joshua 1 and verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua 24 and verse 15, know that verse. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will do what? Serve. We sometimes think we're going to take a stand of conviction. 
But there needs to be serving, a mindset of serving, because if you're going to take a stand of conviction, there's going to be pressures and problems, there's going to be blows, there's going to be devastation. And if you don't recognize your place in all this, we're simply a servant. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 9, Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Psalm 100 and verse 2, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. A servant. You know of anybody else other than James who might have been a servant? We've already mentioned Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter number 2, we are told one of the great tremendous passages. My mind still struggles to comprehend all that is being told us in Philippians chapter 2. But here's, we're just coming out of Christmas. And, and I believe you want to see a real Christmas story in theology. Just go to Philippians chapter number 2. Jesus Christ was eternally humble in heaven. And Jesus Christ, he humbled himself at the incarnation. You know what Christmas is? It is Jesus humbling himself. He humbled himself to come here. He humbled himself for us. And then we're told in Philippians 2 and verse 8 that Jesus humbled himself to go to the cross. And Paul says, now let this mind be in you. We're concerned about reputation. Jesus wasn't. You can't be if you're going to serve. And he served. He was a man who served. Who did Jesus serve? He served one who denied him, Peter. He served one who doubted him, Thomas. He served all of them who deserted him. And even served one who deceived him, betrayed him, Judas. Who are you serving? You're thinking, I'd like to take a shot at being over one of the fellowships. I'd like to have some leadership. Why don't you take up serving, servantship? You serve. You serve. You learn to be like Jesus. And Jesus said in John 13, verse number 17, after explaining this to his disciples, if you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Well, to, today we're a couple thousand years removed from James's writings. And I will tell you, the more I go through this, the more I see that it's just as relevant as anything news-wise on the internet, except what you find in James is true. And we're finding here, he's talking about this matter of trials. He talks about the matter of problems in verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And he's talking about these problems, these trials. He's saying that they're predictable. He's saying that they're inevitable. He, he's saying that they're certain. They're going to happen. He says, when ye fall, when ye encounter, when you experience. He didn't say if, he said when. James is dealing with trials and troubles and tragedies and tribulations that will come your way. You might be in it right now. You might be experiencing some stress right now. It could be because of a runny nose. It could be because of a bad phone call you received. It could be because you're, you were left on hold waiting uh, for someone to answer the phone. It could be because... You didn't have Wi-Fi when you needed it. It could have been because you had an accident, a fender bender. It could have been because of sitting in traffic, um, because the washing machine in the dorm breaks, because of the hot water heater going out. Now, that, that would be dangerous during this time of the year. Transmission goes out in the vehicle. You get a flat tire. The dog runs away. 
COVID complications, um, news from home of terminal illness that sets into a family. You, you experience a breaking of a bone or, or some, some type of setting aside of, of what you would normally be able to do because you've become injured or hurt. Insufficient funds. Now that hits about everybody in college. Insufficient funds and no hope in sight for seeing any change in that department. Loss of a loved one. Having to say goodbye to someone that you've been close to. Having a strained relationship with a friend. Whatever it might be. There's a lot of things you're going to go through that's going to cause stress and pressure. Just going through classes. Just experiencing being away from home. The schedule you're given. Trying to keep up. There's all kinds of things that, that, that you and I face that allow for pressure and stress to happen. I mentioned this back at the men's uh, retreat. But the man by the name of Jim McLaren comes to my mind so often. If I ever get a little bit down about problems. At the age of 22, he was a football player at Yale and seemed to have everything going for him. He excelled in his studies. He became a pro football player and an actor. But one night on his motorcycle, he was hit by a 20-ton bus. He was thought to be dead on arrival at the hospital, but the efforts of the emergency room staff, they saved his life. He recovered mostly. Jim lost his left leg below the knee. But he didn't let that problem or trial stop him. He spent the next eight years becoming one of the best one-legged athletes in the world. He entered into a brutal rehab regimen and was ready to compete in 10K races. It's a little over six miles. He set the new records for disabled athletes in the New York and Boston Marathon. Then when things seemed to be going well, disaster struck again. Jim was competing in a triathlon in Los Angeles in 1993 when a van was mistakenly allowed onto the street where the bicyclists were riding. The van hit Jim head on. It flung him across the street into a lamppost. And the impact, it snapped his neck and it left him paralyzed. Now Jim was having to be confined to a wheelchair and he lived with constant pain. The nerves to his arms and legs were not completely severed and he experienced spastic fits on a continual basis. He was in a steel halo for three months. He began a new course of rehabilitation at a center in Colorado that specializes in this. And after just six months, he was actually living independent once again and he was giving motivational speeches. But then depression set in. When he came to the realization that he would never be free from his pain. And no matter how hard he worked, he would never be able to walk again. Well, Jim had won a $3.8 million settlement for the accident. And with that money, he moved to Hawaii. Soon he became addicted to cocaine and was wallowing in self-pity. And one night in his wheelchair, he rolled down the street where he had once raced in a marathon. And he looked up in the sky and he yelled... Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? We may not go through anything as severe as Jim McClare and I have not. 
But there's going to be some things that you'll go through. It may be major, it may be minor. You know the difference between a major trial and a minor trial? You don't know how you can tell the difference? When I'm going through it, it's major. If you're going through it, it's minor. Whatever it is you're facing at the moment, you may be tempted to ask God why. And I don't know that it's entirely a problem as long as you have the response that James is giving to us. He tells us in verse 1, he's writing to those who were scattered. And the truth is today, we could be considered part of that scattered crowd, not in the, the technical sense here. But the fact is, God's not sheltering us from problems. And we're going to experience some stress because he wants us to have the mindset that is going to enable us to experience the awakening and the very life of Jesus Christ who set the example for us and is orchestrating this within our life. There are four imperatives here in this passage that can help us if we're going to have the right mindset. Notice in verse number two, my brethren, it's the third word, my brethren, say the word with me, count. All right, we'll say it again. Let's try it again here. It's sounding like a Monday morning without your coffee response. Let's try it again. Verse 2, my brethren, say it, count. Count. It is an imperative. It's a financial term. It means to evaluate. And James is challenging us and He's doing the same thing that the Apostle Paul did in Philippians chapter 3. Paul tells us that when he became a Christian, he evaluated his life. He took inventory of the things that he was experiencing and the things that were important to him that he used to consider as this is, a, this is what's worth living for. And when he compared that to Christ in the big picture, he said, no, that, that's not as important as what I thought it was. That's actually garbage. He says to evaluate. Phillips says, when it comes to trials, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Don't, don't look at the stress you're going through as an interruption. I know some of you look at classes you're taking maybe as an interruption. If I just get through this class, that's not really why I'm here. And if you continue to have that mindset about things, you're going to miss what it is that God is trying to do. Those who trust in God, we ought to exhibit a drastically different kind of a response towards problems and trials and stress. Listen, trials and stress, they're designed not to torture you. They're designed to teach you some things about you. They're designed to teach you some things about God. And he says, count and count it all joy. He says at the end of verse 1, greeting, rejoice. And he tells us in verse number 2, let's do some rejoicing. You're going through some problems. If not, you're going to go through some problems. And learn to respond, learn to count. Our attitude ought to be one that is of joy. Now joy, it's a deep sense of well-being that may at the same time embrace sorrow, Tears, laughter, anger, pain. See, joy is more a decision than a feeling. It's choosing to live above feelings, although not denying them. Joy is not intense happiness. Although choosing joy sometimes produces happiness, joy is particularly 
the right response that a disciple, a, a Christian who's intimate with God will experience as they depend upon the truth of God's sovereignty. Do you believe God's in control? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Well, let me try that again. See if it, is this working here? Do you believe that God is in charge? Do you believe he's still God? Do you... Some of you are just looking at me. Don't look at me. Answer. This, this, this is great. Yeah, we're going to turn this one in. Do you, do you believe that, that God knows who you are, where you are, and what's going on? Yeah, you may not like. He doesn't say at all, like what you're going through. He doesn't say, love it when you find out your roommate is going to be part of the torture test. This, he didn't, he's not saying that. Uh, I, know, I know you don't have any roommates like that, but he's saying recognize, recognize the big picture. Have the right mindset. This is good. It, it may not taste good. It may not feel good. It may bring tears to your eyes. It may hurt your heart. Your stomach may be churning because of having to go through some things, but you at the same time can choose and calculate as you add up this equation that God is still in charge. And you can count it all joy. How do we tend to deal with problems? They come our way. We escape. And then we count it all joy. Boy, I got out of that one. I got roommates changed. <laughs> I got out of that class. I don't have to play that instrument. Well, I, I don't have to do this. And we escape and we experience joy. But that's not real joy. That's maybe more happiness because you've escaped something that God, God, God who loves you, God who's trying to put something into your life, and we escape. The other way is we, we handle problems by pretending. We just pretend like we're okay. You're kind of a private person, so you're going to pretend like everything's okay. And James says, don't do that. It's not a matter of escaping or, or pretending. It's a matter of deciding. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in, in God. So joy is God-oriented rather than event-oriented because it centers on God and His presence in our experience. Did you experience the presence of God this morning? It's going to be hard to count it all joy. It's going to be hard to... You're going to go back into the pretending. You're going to go into... I know what I'm supposed to do, and you're going to have to pretend because you've got the facts. You can preach the message, you can teach the lesson, but you're not going to pass the test, and you're not going to have the mindset of one who is a follower of Jesus and intimate with Jesus and understands how to enjoy this life and experience what God's trying to do until you get to the presence of God and you take confidence who He is, and then you can say, I calculate two plus two is four. This problem, my life, God's in charge. I'm rejoicing. So you're going to have to count. So when trials come, start giving thanks to God. Why don't you help each other with that? Sometimes we, we, we get in the midst of it. I, 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 just, I can guarantee you, uh, get, get blindsided in an accident. If it is not something that's cultivated, it's not going to be a natural reaction but here in a place where you're seeking God and you're seeking the life of God to be manifested why not help each other with this you, you don't need we don't need Job's friends in here 
But you can encourage one another. You can encourage one another that, that God is doing something. He's doing something special. You've heard this, that outlook determines outcome. And so if you're going to end with joy, you've got to begin with joy. But how? How is it even possible to rejoice in the midst of trials? Well, I think the, the next uh, imperative tells us, notice in verse 3, knowing this, knowing. So the first imperative is to count, evaluate, knowing this. Know is the word ginosko. And so this is more than just getting down some facts so you can past the written exam, but this is embracing and experiencing the reality of some things, knowing what is it that we're to know? What do Christians know that can make it easier to face the stress and the problems and to have the right mindset that Christ had? Well, one thing that we can know about what we're going through is that the problems, the stress, and the trials and the troubles, God allows to test you. We'll look at it in verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. God is going to take the instrument of whatever the problem may be. It may be a schedule. It may be a person. It may be a pain. It may be a conflict. It may be something internal bodily. Whatever it might be that's bringing about stress, it might be a trial. God will use that trial, that, that problem, that tool, that instrument to try and test your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to what? So it's pretty important, is it not? And so God says, I'm going to put you into my workout regimen. New year, new resolutions. A lot of people decide, I'm going to get in shape. I'm toying with that idea. But I will tell you, I'm on day number 10 of learning to drink black coffee. Hold the applause, hold the applause. I don't want to take too much credit. That's hard stuff. I'm thinking, where were my parents when the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go? Should have helped me earlier on with this. This is hard stuff. My wife's always told me, you learn to drink coffee like an adult, you'll be able to do adult things. And, and uh, she's always drinking black. I just, so I'm on day 10, and I'm persevering in this. But... Um, but God's got a workout regiment for us. He's got a workout gym for us. And he says, I'm going to test your faith. I'm going to try your faith. He called Abraham to live by faith. And so what did he do? He, he tested him to increase his faith. So you can know this. You can know that God is going to let troubles test your faith. Another thing you can know is in verse number three, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That he is going to allow troubles in order to develop us it's not just to test your faith but he's going to develop us why because he's trying to produce patience you know the word patience it's that hupomene it's that idea of staying under standing under listen i'm telling you you're here in bible college regardless of what you think god may want you to do after this is over but one thing I know that God does not want any of you to be after all this is over is like so many that are in our churches. If we ever do get them into church, it's so many and too many. When problems and trials and stress comes because they're coming, they get out from under it and they flee. They run. When God is trying to develop them, 
And God is going to use that problem and that stress, that something in your life. You're thinking, I, fig- I-, I think I can get out of this. And you can scheme and get out of it. But why don't you just surrender and stay in it so God can develop you so you can stay under it? He wants to develop you. He wants to put some patience, some steadfastness in your life. Why is it that that people, they'll come to Bible college believing God wants to use them and they're on fire and then they begin to dwindle and things begin to change? I'll tell you why. Because many times things change and they didn't respond to the God who doesn't change the right way. Instead, they reacted to the things that were changing in their life and they've lost that fire and favor and flow of God. God's trying to develop you. He doesn't bring you into his workout gym called discipleship just for the sake of checklist mentality. Just mark this off your list. Now he brings you in because he, he knows the before picture and he's got an after picture. He's trying to develop you. But listen, he's not just trying to put patience in that staying power in our life so that we can stay under that stress because, well, doesn't that sound wonderful? What, what would you like for Christmas? I just want more misery and so I can stay under it. No, that's not the mindset. That's not the idea. No, I'm recognizing God's going to put some tough things in my life. And though I do not like those tough things, I do not like that experience. I, I like the fact that I can know that God's in charge and he's putting it into my life to teach me. I don't have to run. I don't have to hide. I don't have to pull back. But it's not just the patience, the staying under that pressure that he's trying to do. But let me, let me mention this before I go on. Barkley, I love his uh, wording of this hupomene, this matter of staying under that patience. He says, now listen, hupomene is not simply the ability to bear things. It's the ability to turn them to greatness and to glory. The thing which amazed the non-Christians in the centuries of Christian persecution, listen, was that the martyrs did not die grimly. They died singing. One smiled in the flames. They asked him what he found to smile at. And the martyr said, I saw the glory of God and was glad. Hupomene is the quality which makes people able not simply to suffer things, but to overcome them. So to follow Jesus Christ, there has to be more than a casual Christian in this world because you're going to experience some, um, some pressure. Warren Wiersbe says that immature people, they're going to lack that staying under that pressure. God's trying to develop you. If you're going to run, we, one of the, my staff guys, uh, Lebee's uh, dad, and he's going to run a marathon. And I, I said, I understand. I'm with you. I'm learning to drink black coffee. He's trying to run a marathon. There's a lot of similarities there. And uh, I said, I'll encourage you, you encourage me. I'd rather learn to drink black coffee, I'll tell you that. But he, um, he's starting out. He's getting back into running. 20 years in the Marines, he knows what it means to run. But he's having to, to get it in, and he takes it at, at small chunks. He's st- he'll set out to run a mile. Why is he running a mile? Well, it's not so that he can run a mile for the next year because he's got to run a 26-mile marathon here in just a few months. And he's doing this because it's trying to increase. God's putting things, pressure and stress and trials and problems upon each other at times in your life because he's trying to get that muscle of faith, that muscle of patience to increase. But look at verse 4. 
But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now listen, you can know this. You can know that God's going to use problems and stress in your life to test you. He's he's trying your faith. He's trying to work out that, that muscle of faith. Why? Because he's trying to develop you so that you don't have this uh, this flight mentality. I'm going to get out of here. Maybe your parents responded to problems this way. Maybe you've known a preacher that responded to problems that way and just took off. I, I'll tell you this, our South, the Southern United States, and I'm sure there's other parts of the country, but the South is filled with churches, littered with churches all over the place. And one of the reasons that they're all over the place is because a preacher didn't stay. He used the people to build his ministry. And when that wore out, after a few years, he'd go and get somewhere else and just start all over again until the problems and the trials and the pressure would increase. I want to tell you, you're going to hurt people. You're going to hurt the cause of Christ and you're going to hurt your ministry. This isn't about you using somebody else to build your ministry. It's about letting God use you so you can build somebody else. And that's called the ministry. But you're going to have to learn here. I've got to stay under this. I've got to stay. I I thought coming back my third year is going to be easier than it was the first year. If it wasn't easier for Jesus towards the end of his life, why should it be easier for us? But if you feel like you can't make it at times, maybe it's because you took too many shortcuts and you cut corners and you didn't build that muscle of faith. But listen, he's using that, that those problems and trials and stress and pressure in order that he might ex- produce that staying power. But that's not the end. The end is verse number four. He wants to transform us. He wants to make you mature. A, a diploma. A degree does not necessarily mean you have that maturity. But this is still part of that process. But you can still cut corners with God and you can pass the academics. You can do some things academically in ministry. You can put together the message. You can preach and teach. You can draw a crowd. You can do those things. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're experiencing the transformation of Christian maturity and development that God's trying to accomplish within your life. And so understand, you can know this. You've got to count. You've you've got to consider God's in charge. I'm going to rejoice regardless. And you can then know this. You can know these things. He, He tells us what's happening. He tells us why the stress and the pressure is there. So when trials come, you can face them with joy because when you infuse that problem with faith, perseverance, steadfastness results. And if perseverance goes full term, it will develop thoroughly in your life to be a mature child of God, lacking nothing. In other words, you'll be all that God wants you to be. But there's a third imperative. You've got to hurry. Notice in verse number four. But, here it is, let. Do you see that? Let. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let. It's going to require that you do some cooperating with God. Surrender. God cannot work in us without our consent. Now, he can do some things to us. But if we're going to experience this maturity and this developing, this transformation, 
You're going to have to make some decisions to cooperate. You're going to have to surrender. You're going to have to get all in. Ephesians 6 and verse 6 tells us doing the will of God from the heart. Surrender, I think, is greatly misunderstood and misused and misapplied. You hear a message on surrender, sometimes you check out and think that doesn't apply to me because I can tell you when I surrendered and where I surrendered. But we fail to understand that surrender is to be daily. Surrender because of new opportunities and new obstacles that come into our life. We have to make fresh decisions to continue to let. Let patience have her perfect work. You may have been surrendering just fine before the trial hit you, before the truck ran over you, before you experienced that, that immense stress within your life. What do you do? Well, you cooperate with God. You surrender to Him again. Sometimes we act like immature children. You've seen immature little kids in the nursery. Maybe you have siblings. They don't, you don't see too often, here, here, here's my toy. Oh, after you, you, you go first. But we do that as mature physical adults. We act that way. And we go through trials that way. Jonah's an illustration of this. God got a hold of him, but Jonah never really got a hold of God. And in the end, he's still pouting about it. And God's going to put you through some things. And, and if you don't respond right... You'll just bail out and become another statistic and you can complain and criticize and argue and you can point out all the flaws with, with the institution, your church, your home, your parents, your friends, everything else. And you can be like Jonah and while God's doing a work, he'll do a work around you. But wouldn't it be better if you cooperate, let him do the work with you, through you, for you, in you? I told you earlier, God's up to something and I'm just thankful he lets us be a part of it. Well, how can I, how do I surrender? How do I cooperate with them during this? You know, sometimes when you're going through these things, you think, I took that class. I think I could do it better if I uh, took it again and you take it again and, and it's a whole lot easier. And you want to do your own trials that way, but you don't get to choose your trial. You don't get to say, God, I like this one this morning. I woke up at the hotel, nice hotel and, and uh, got some breakfast and they had some options there and I was able to choose what I wanted to eat. And then, um, you know, I, I got into the vehicle and, and I put, put on my GPS just to make sure and, and uh, which way to go. And I had a couple of options it gave me. I chose to go Burleigh, as Siri would call it, Burley. I went Burley. And, um, and so I had options. You don't have options as to what you're going to go through, but you do have an option as to how you're going to handle it and what you're going to respond. Look at the last imperative. If you're going to have the right mindset about stress and trials, notice in verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him, say the word, ask of God. Ask. How can you do all this? How can you cooperate? How can you count it all joy? How can you factor this equation right without getting it mixed up? Turn to God. Turn to God. Oh, I know who to call when, I, when I've got some, some bizarre things that I'm facing. I'll call pastor. I'll call Dr. Jim. But I've had to condition myself over the years. I need to first learn to turn to God. Turn to God. Turn to God. 
You're here. You've got friends. You have counselors. You're in a, you're in a great, you're in a, one of the most wonderful places you're going to be in your life because of all the different ingredients that are here and the different things that are placed in, on purpose to help you. But don't you miss in all of this wonderful help and education and training and awakening uh, uh, services that are provided. Turn to God. Learn to turn to God. And he says, ask God for wisdom. It's been said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart, whereas wisdom is the ability to put them together. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Why do we need wisdom? He didn't say, hey, you're going through something hard. Ask God for strength. We need strength, don't we? He didn't say, ask God for grace. He didn't say, ask God for deliverance. The reason is we need wisdom so we will not waste the opportunity that God is giving to mature you. Don't, don't, don't tell God when you've had enough. No, God knows. He's trying, He loves you. He's trying to do something in your life. Why don't you start praying, God, give me the wisdom so that I don't waste this. Give me the wisdom so I don't waste this opportunity. Ask in faith. And there's a lot there he tells us. And here's, I believe, another aspect of this mindset. Be, don't be double-minded. Don't be double-souled. Be single-minded. There's a right mindset. But let me close with this in verse number 12. He talks about the reward. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried. He shall receive the crown of life. God will reward us, not just here, but I believe he will here. Think of Mrs. Van singing the song, It Will Be Worth It All. When we see Jesus, he will, he's not going to forget. You've, you will never labor an, an ounce of strength or energy or time, but what it is in every, every aspect of your life is valuable as an investment for the service of the Lord. It's not in vain. He will, he will reward it. But how can we have this mindset? How is this mindset really going to be the right mindset that Christ had? Take this mindset. How are we going to go through life with joy so we can end with joy? Go through this trial, this stress, this problem with joy. It doesn't mean it's an absence of tears. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that there's not grieving. It doesn't mean that there's not sickness. It just means that I get the big picture. I now see the big picture. How? Well, notice again in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I believe this mindset that James is telling us is really just a mindset of loving Jesus. When I love Jesus, and I learn what it means to fall in love with Jesus, I understand that He loves me. And there's nothing happening to me but what He knows and He cares. And I want to love Him. As the songwriter wrote, if there's ever a time to love Him, tis now. 
I love Jesus. And sometimes Christy will say to their kids, why do we have to do this or why are we doing this? And, and it's not, we, we, we fully believe in explaining and helping them understand because I believe a lot of times we've, we've done things without there being an understanding as to why and, and it causes us to maybe not be as careful in protecting them. But sometimes, sometimes I think the simplistic answer is refreshing and, and they'll sometimes say, why do we do this? Why, why are we dressed this way? Why do we do this? this and go this way why do we do this things and this is really coming from Christie's heart and conviction she will just say to them because I love Jesus because I love him I love him when I love him I can count it all joy when I love him I can, I can know that what God's up to is going to bring him great glory. It's going to be for my good. When I love him, oh, then I can cooperate and surrender. When I love him, I can turn to him and ask him for wisdom so that I don't waste this opportunity. The mindset for stress.